and you're out. You got a map. You recognize that place? That's way east of here. That is the country of Greece. And the arrow is pointing to the area called Achaia, where the city of Corinth is located. And just to give you some orientation on the map, if you were to go east from there, very shortly you would wind up in what is present-day Turkey, biblically known as Asia Minor. If you were to go west and a little bit north, you'd soon run into the bottom of the boot of Italy. So that's where Greece is in the Mediterranean Sea. And we got to go there not that long ago. It was uh, November of last year. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about it. This is Corinth. You see Corinth here, but you remember that's where Corinth is located. You see a little strip of land that, a little bitty strip of land is called an isthmus. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that looks like how it's pronounced from the spelling. And that is that bit, well, you can't see when I point to that, but I meant to bring a, where's my pointer? I didn't bring a pointer. I'm unprepared, ill-prepared. But anyway, that narrow strip of land there up in the uh, upper right corner is the Isthmus. And so you can see modern Corinth is on the northern shore of that Isthmus, and ancient Corinth is where that star is located. That's actually only about three miles distant from the modern city of Corinth to ancient Corinth. So it's not far to the ruins. And this is what it looks like when you drive on that isthmus from Athens out to Corinth. We sat down in Athens. Our airplane landed on Sunday morning, late Sunday morning. And so we got in a van and we drove across the isthmus to Corinth. Took us, I forget now, an hour and 15 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. But it was a nice drive, beautiful drive, as you can see from this picture. And that isthmus was an opportunity for ancient peoples because the coastline of Greece is very rocky and hazardous to sail around. And so in ancient times, what people did was they said, you know, this thing's only about six miles long. Let's just build a trackway across it and we can roll ships like on a, on a rail line across. And that's exactly what they did. Now, that picture on your right is of a modern canal that's been dug across that isthmus, and they put ships through there. I should have put a picture of a ship in there, but large ships go through that opening. It's very deep and very uh, ominous to look at. You stand on a bridge. That's how I got this picture. Stand on a bridge, and you take that shot, and it's, it's deep and it's wide. That'd make a great song, wouldn't it? But this is that area of the isthmus that separates the area where Athens is from from Corinth. And this is what what helped make Corinth uh, a city that was wealthy because they had a lot of shipping coming in. And they were able to go cross-country with the ships. There was even a saying, fast as a Corinthian, because it was so much faster to take a ship on this land trek than to take it around in the water. I just wouldn't want to have been one of those guys pushing that ship those four or five miles across there. But that's what they did. And as you can see, a little bit of artwork. I don't know if you can make out the guy sitting in the boat. This was uh, maritime art for a maritime city. This is what you find in the city of Corinth in the ancient ruins. 
And there is the temple of Apollo. It's impressive, isn't it? And this is a ruin. This place is wrecked. That's what a ruin is. It's a, it's a building that's torn down in disarray, but it still looks impressive. And you can't really get a, an idea of how huge it is until you're there. But it is very impressive. Here's another shot of it from the other side. And behind it is that large mountain. And to me, that was a very impressive shot. In the Bible, mountains are signs of power. And when you take a look at this temple with that mountain in the background, you get this idea of power, that impression of power. By the way, where were all the Greek gods from? Mount Olympus. If you were going to write them a postcard, that's how you'd have to address it, to the gods. Mount Olympus. Mountains figure prominently not just in biblical history, but in human history. And this is another shot of the temple of Apollo with that mountain in the background. So when you read this letter that Paul wrote to to Corinthians, the first letter, this is one of the things he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak this to wise people. You then judge what I say. Is the cup of blessing which we bless not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is the bread which we break not a sharing in the body of Christ? And... That's one of the things he said to these people because everywhere they went, you just saw the temple of Apollo. These are the springs of Perine. Uh, Pegasus' favorite. Who was Pegasus? Well, that was that, that winged horse, mythical, legendary winged horse. And it is said that these springs were caused by him landing here and stomping the ground with his hoof so water would come forth and he'd get a drink. Well, that's one legend. There's another one. And the reason it got its name is Perrine, because there was a woman named Perrine who was mourning the loss of a loved one. And so her tears caused these springs to flow up out of the ground. But these springs were very impressive. You can't really tell from the picture, but all of those openings are gateways that go back under the ground. I think it's about a quarter mile back in there. It's a long ways tunnels and there were pools in there and there's pools out here and the water would flow out gently flow out fill up these pools and you could go down there and get a drink but every time you did that you were you were in a place that was dedicated to the muses these are two of the muses there were several of them but the muses were female goddesses that were in charge of things like these two eloquence and history if you were a good speaker you owed that to the goddess Calliope. By the way, have you ever heard of Calliope? I guess that's where Calliope got its name from this woman who was so eloquent because Calliopes are really beautiful instruments of music. I didn't know if I'd get a giggle from that or not, but it doesn't sound like it would be. Calliope sounds like an accident, but no. Her, her name was Calliope, and here's Cleo. She was the muse of history, and she's got a scroll in her hand. She's reading, and the muses were known for the more intellectual pursuits. Now, the word muse, what does that sound like in our vernacular? We, we use the word sometimes to muse. When we muse, we are thinking about something. But what do we use that sounds like muse, but it's not muse? But the word amuse, we amuse ourselves. What does the word amuse mean? In the Greek... When you took the letter alpha and you put it in front of a word, you negated whatever that word was supposed to stand for. So to muse was to think about something, to ponder, to give time in thought. 
to amuse yourself is when you you don't worry about thinking about anything. You just want to have fun. Now, being amused is not a bad thing, but I just thought that might be a little insight into why these goddesses were called muses, because they were in charge of the intellectual pursuits. And when you went to get a drink of water, you were going to the place that was in honor of these goddesses. They were surrounded by idolatry all the time. They had that imposing temple of Apollos. There were other grand temples around there that, of course, lay in ruins now. But this is the way it was back in the day. Here's the Agora, or the marketplace, also known as a Walmart in the first century. That's what it would have been for them. If we go to Walmart to get everything, this is where they would have gone to get everything. The King James Version has the word shambles. I remember as a boy reading the King James and seeing, uh, reading the word shambles. And I thought, what's a shamble to you? To me, a shamble is someplace that's all run down and broken down. And of course, that's what it looks like now. But when Paul used the term shambles, he wasn't talking about something broken down. He was talking about a place that was a marketplace. And the word shamble, I found out, is an archaic version of meat market. Go to the meat market. So he was saying to the Corinthians, when you go down to the meat market and you buy something, don't ask any questions about where it came from. We'll see this in a little bit because where it came from might have been an idolatrous, an idolatrous temple. But you can see all the little enclaves. We'll see some more of that. And you see this long, this, this way here. The Romans were great at building roads. They were great at paving areas for commercial use or whatever use. And this way was probably covered. There is evidence that there were large pillars along the way that would have supported beams or something to cover this. And that's the practice that they had back in the day because it was hot. And if you had to shop in the, in the heat of the day, you might not go out and spend your money. So to keep the economy going, they would put a little shade over the places where you would shop. And these were uh, very large places covered over so that you could have some shade and the breeze would come through and hopefully make it nice and you would spend more money. That was the idea. So here's what Paul wrote. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market, the shambles, the agora. Eat anything that's sold down there without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. This is the application. You know, this is a quote from the old scriptures. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So don't worry about what somebody says about this meat being offered to a God because those gods are not anything at all in actuality. And the only reason, you remember the only reason why you should worry about whether or not it was sacrificed to a God? Because if you would eat it and cause someone else to stumble who didn't have the same understanding about it you did. That's the only reason because you loved your brother. So that was one of the first questions asked in scripture. Am I my brother's keeper? Who asked that question, by the way? Cain asked that question. Are you your brother's keeper? And the answer God would have us to understand, I believe, is yes. I care about your brother. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 to 21 says, What do I mean then, that food sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Give some thought to that. These made-up gods, Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are the product of demons. Remember Paul, would, when he would write to, to Timothy and he would talk about the doctrines of demons, the teachings of demons? There are spiritual forces at work in this world and they've been at work for a long time. And so he's attributing these idol gods 
to demonic powers. And he says they're sacrificing to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. We just drank the fruit of the vine of the Lord's Supper. We just ate the bread. And in that supper, we have communion. That's why it's called communion. We are communing with one another and communing with God. All centrally focused around his sacrifice. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, If you have part in that communion, you cannot have part in the communion of the world. and The demonic powers of idolatry. You have to be separate from that. And then he says this. Think about the... If you were a citizen in Corinth and you saw those great temples in their heyday when they were brand new and shining and so impressive... And Paul comes to you and he says this. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? Now this statement was made to the church as a body. This congregation is a temple of God, is it not? Not talking about this building. God doesn't live here. He lives in you. He lives in us. And this is what Paul was trying to impress On the saints in Corinth in the first century. When they were living in this area with these temples and these gods and goddesses. They were steeped in it. They were mired in it. It was all over the place. It was as we would say today. It was in your face. And so he was encouraging them with the truth. That they were the temples of God in actuality. This he says in chapter 6. That previous quote of course was from chapter 3. This one from chapter 6 talking about individuals being temples of God. You as an individual, if you're in Christ, you're a temple of God. His spirit lives in you. This is what he says here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. These temples were built to glorify the false gods, the idols. And Paul is saying to us and to them, Your body has been made to glorify God. He lives in you. Here's another view of that way we saw a little bit ago. And you got to wonder. Paul was in Corinth and while he was there he lived with Priscilla and Aquila. And Luke said he lived with them because he was a tent maker and that was their occupation. And you got to wonder did they have a little shop here Along this street when people passed by to buy whatever goodies they came to buy. Whatever necessities they were looking for. Was anybody coming into town to look for a tent to set up? And would they have been in the shop? Perhaps where Priscilla and Aquila had set up business. Here's another view of some of those shops. What they would have or what they look like now. Give you some idea what they would have looked like back in the day. This is where people set up shop and did commerce. The Bema, the high place, this is there in the ancient ruins of Corinth. And this is important because Paul, when he went to Corinth, went first to the synagogue. And it says, after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. That's the beginning of Acts chapter 18 where we read about the establishment of the church in the city of Corinth. 
Is this where he was? This might have been the place. We might have been standing right there. When you, if, if you get to go over there, you're just going to stand there going, wow, trying to soak it all in. And you can't soak it all in. You, you need time and you need silence. And we didn't have either. We were in a hurry. We were in a hustle. You had to go in there and take a look and get out. It's kind of the way it works in that kind of a trip. One of these days, maybe, uh, we'll be able to take some time and, and go. But this wasn't that kind of a trip. But it's so impressive to be in these places where, especially uh, in Israel, where Jesus would have been. And go back in history, 3,000 years, where David would have been, where Solomon would have been. All of those kinds of places. It's just so mind-boggling to think this is the physical place on the earth where these people were and where these things happened. And we were standing right there. This might be where Paul had been. From Acts 18, verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Many of the Corinthians, as they listened to Paul, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So for a year and six months, a year and a half, Paul was in the city of Corinth, Teaching and preaching the gospel. And God said to Paul, I got a lot of people here in this town. Maybe that's why the congregation was set up and established. Uh, you know, they had a lot of problems. If you read 1 Corinthians especially, you can see that the whole letter is about trouble that they had in Corinth trying to, to do the right thing in so many different situations. They were carnally minded. They were having fights over which was their favorite preacher. And they were taking each other to court over... Um, Silly things that they should not have been taking one another to court over. They had a guy who had his father's wife. And they were proud of that somehow. So all of these kinds of problems Paul had to approach in the church. And yet God says, I got a lot of people in this town. So you just keep right on preaching. And he was there for a year and a half. This tells me that no matter how messed up you are, God still counts you his. And you are a work in progress. We are all works in progress, are we not? You just go home, go to bed, get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and you see, man, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> and, and if we could have mirrors that would look into our souls, oh my goodness, we would see how much work there really is to do. This is another view of the Bema there from a distance. Do you see that that little pillar about waist high right next to those people? I don't know how well you could see in that picture. Oh, I... Right there! There's my laser pointer. That's one view of it, but let's get a little closer. That's that little pillar right there. Now, it's interesting... Because we wouldn't have had a picture of this pillar except that two of our grandkids thought it would be fun to take some of the rocks that are on the ground and stack them on that pillar. And Debbie noticed them stacking these rocks on the pillar and thought, well, got to looking at that pillar and noticed the artwork on there that you can see, that flower carved in there. A lot of beautiful, intricate artwork. And there's a lot of this stuff. It's just laying all over the ground. 
But this one, because they were playing on it, she focused on and got that picture. And, of course, there's another shot of it with some rocks stacked on it that they have left. But this is what we read in Acts 18, 12 to 16. Prisoners, well, we don't read this. Now, why do I have a a scripture reference? Oh, I know why I do. Because this isn't a quote from scripture. This is, well, you can read it for yourself. Prisoners were tied to a post when brought to trial. Was this the post used for Paul when he was brought before Gallio? And that part of the text of Acts 18 talks about Paul being arrested and brought before Gallio. Now, this was on a Sunday morning when we were there. We traveled back from Corinth to Athens that afternoon. And that evening, we met with the Lord's Church that met in Athens, the only church we could find in in that part of the world. And the preacher that night was talking about this pillar. And he said, this is almost certainly the pillar, the one standing in front of the Bema, where Paul was when he was on trial. We thought, wow, this, this is fascinating stuff. This is the Erastus inscription. There was a fellow by the name of Erastus. He was a city treasurer. They had another name for it. We'll see in just a minute. A little bit of an unusual name, perhaps for us. But this inscription is right there by that main road. And it says, Erastus, in exchange for his ship, paved this road at his own expense. An adile is a city servant, somebody who's a, a municipal servant. And that's what Erastus did. And this is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. So what are the odds that this guy, the city treasurer, by the way, this was not a common name. There were a lot of names that were common in the first century world, but this was not a common name, Erastus. Uh, It's been speculated, statisticians, I guess it is, said that this name was only used for one in 1,100 boys. So it's, it's a very unusual name to find. And sure enough, we've got this inscription of a fellow named Erastus who built a road. And then Paul comes along and writes this letter to the church at Rome. By the way, he was writing from Corinth when he wrote the letter to the church at Rome. So writing from Corinth, he says, hey, Erastus is here and he greets you guys. He's the city treasurer. Is this not the same guy? It's got to be the same guy. They just happened to find this inscription. Isn't that Well, it doesn't seem fitting enough to say cool, but that's cool. Any amens on that? Yeah. What's that? Oh, that's what that is. Some concluding thoughts about our trip to Corinth. It's a very real place. It was inhabited by real people just like you and me. Those real people in that real place were surrounded by the oppressive influence of the world and the weakness of their own flesh. Do you get the idea that nothing has changed in 2,000 years? We talk about how things are now. Boy, things have changed. Well, yeah, things have changed maybe since the 50s or the 60s. I agree. Things are not like they used to be. But things have also changed because they're not like they were 2,000 years ago. So, 
Those people were desperately in need of Jesus. Paul was there for how long? A year and a half preaching because he needed to be there for a year and a half. God says, I've got a lot of people in this town. You need to be here for a while. They need to hear my gospel. Same thing today. People are no less desperately in need of Jesus today. The church at Corinth ceased to exist. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know when. But at some point, the church stopped existing in Corinth. And it struck me while we were over there. It was, it's just so tragically sad that this place where we read about the missionary journeys of Paul, preaching the gospel to all of these cities, and the church is just very difficult to find. It's there in some places. Athens was a hard place to find, and it's a small congregation. But they're there. Couldn't find one in Corinth. Couldn't find one in Ephesus. But it used to be there. Why isn't it there anymore? I don't know. But here's a question for us. Who will we tell about Jesus? Because if we don't keep telling people about Jesus, if we don't keep encouraging people to do something about their soul. And you think about Paul working with Aquila and Priscilla. And you saw the, the marketplace and the road that goes through there. Just imagine him standing there in one of those shops and somebody comes by looking at, at their wares, at their tents and... What if Paul would have asked, you ever thought about the fact that you're living in a tent, that that body of yours is just a tent, and pretty soon you're going to be leaving that tent? What kind of a question is that? Well, that's the kind of question that's intended to get your attention. Those are the kind of questions that you and I need to be asking people, people that we love, people that we care about. This is the Lord's church. This is not some kind of a social club. We're not just here to meet and greet, are we? We're here to worship the Lord God Almighty. And the Lord God Almighty, through his son, Jesus Christ, has said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And when they listen to that gospel, what do we do? We baptize them. We bury them in water so that they might contact the burial of Christ in his blood. And that's what people did in Corinth. They obeyed the gospel. They were buried in water just like Jesus taught, just like the apostles taught. And that's what we do today. If you look around you like they did in Corinth and you see the world's a mess, people are believing too many things that just aren't true, and you need some reality, that reality is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he returns, nothing else will matter but what you have done in response to that gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation and encouragement. If you've never obeyed the gospel, if you need to learn more about the gospel, if you want somebody to talk to you about Jesus or about what to do in response to your faith that you've already got in Jesus, we want to talk to you. We care about your soul. We care about, care about your spiritual wealth. I can't say it, but we care about it. That's the devil tripping me up. He didn't want you to hear this. So listen hard. We're going to stand and sing this song together. And if you need to talk to somebody about the gospel, if you need prayer, you need anything, don't leave this building today before contacting one of us. Grab us by the arm, by the shoulder, and we will love to talk to you about these things. Let's stand and sing.